welcome to the third episode of the Oath of Interest podcast. Today, I am joined by Campbell Barron. He is a 17-year-old entrepreneur, content creator, and interviewer based in Toronto. He has produced stories for CBC on subjects ranging from climate change to cannabis. His interviews on his podcast include David Suzuki, investor in Shark, Mark Cuban, VCs like Chris Saka, and Tim Draper, as well as the founders of Dollar Shave Club, Soul Cycle, and Gimlet Media, and countless others. Um, so, Campbell, first off, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. So, you run a podcast, right? We've established that. It's called The Ones Who Succeed. Mm-hmm. And um, so, let's start off with where you got your inspiration for your podcast. Yeah, so a few things. Uh, first, oh, thanks for having me. And second, um, I at the during the intro, you merged some of my work with CBC and the ones to succeed. So uh, David Suzuki was part of the CBC, but I know it looks like that on my website, so it's not your fault. Anyway, so inspiration for the podcast. Um, I always liked talking to entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, I started an agency, a video agency, when I was 13 and got really interested in um, content creation and, and entrepreneurship. But um, whenever I like saw an entrepreneur, or, you know, happened to be around one, and this was at a small scale, like didn't matter what it was. Um, I was just always gravitate, gravitate towards talking to them. I loved listening to interviews. And so in 2018, I thought I could kind of do my own podcast. Um, and so I didn't know anyone at the time. I didn't really have a lot of money. But I figured if I could get a sponsor who would kind of back it, um, which I did, Skillshare, and then just started reaching out to a bunch of people that I thought were uh, of interest um, that really interested me. Um, entrepreneurs I really looked up to, like Elizabeth Color from SoulCycle and Chris Saka, and uh, the founders of Dollar Shave Club, the founder of Dollar Shave Club, and StubHub, and Gimlet Media, and, and and tons of people that I really really looked up to. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, managed to uh, kind of have all these conversations, uh, launched season one in January of 2019, uh, and then took some time to work on season two. And uh, yeah, and I'm working on the pod, um, new episodes every Wednesday. Yeah. So um, your first podcast episode, as you mentioned there, aired in January of 2019. You were 15 at the time. Yeah, I was 15 at the time, um, and you've been working. Uh, Sixteen, actually. It's kind of funny. I, it's because that was only a year ago, like you're, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, I was, uh, I shot the whole in t- 2018. I was 15. And I shot the whole thing in 2018, and my birthday was on January 21st. Hmm. And I think I launched like two days before my birthday, so I was only 15 for like two more days. But yeah, so a big difference. Essentially, you started off young, um, and you've been working in the podcast ever since. Yeah a goal at the show at the beginning when did you see this in a couple of years it's a good question um i mean i think the goal at the beginning was uh like could i make a podcast like establishing that that's not really a goal that's more of a question but the goal was linked to that question which was okay if i could make a podcast the goal was to talk to people i really looked up to and that was a check and i think the next goal was like can i actually sustain this and season one was like a big like x like i couldn't sustain season one it took a long time to to put together part of that involved all the traveling that i did uh which uh was taking which you know 
I had a sponsor, so I was able to do so. And I'm glad I did because it was awesome. To, it was awesome to meet people in person. But at the same time, you know, I felt that uh, I need to kind of rejig the format. So season one and season two, there was like a year gap between when I launched season one and season two, even basically even more of a year. But it took a year. It was basically a year from like the last episode of season one to the first episode of season two. And I was still figuring things out. But part of that year was like figuring out the format. Um, and could I do interviews via Zoom? Could I do interviews via like, could would online work? This was kind of before the work from home boom. This was before Corona. Um, you know, if I edit it a little bit better, but still make sure everything is tight. But if I, you know, go a little bit easier on, on the effects and on the, on the editing, will people still find it interesting and a lot of experimenting. And so I think the goals have changed. Now the goal is like, okay, I need to figure out a way to make sure I can do this for the next like 10 years, five, 10 years at least. And as a result, if I'm going to be doing it for the next five, 10 years, I need to make, figure out a way to make it super sustainable. Um, and as a result, that's kind of still what I'm figuring out today, but I, I definitely have a, a more, a more uh, sustainable system in place. Yeah, and one of the ways that you've managed to grow your audience in the first year especially was with some really big names as guests. I, um, yeah, for sure. Osaka, David Suzuki, Mark Cuban, who's- David Suzuki was part of CBC, that was a separate thing. Okay. But, yeah, but every everyone else you mentioned was on the podcast. Yeah, because Mark Cuban's like a household name. He's on shot. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. thing. Definitely. How do you go about convincing guests to come on your show? Well, I mean, I, Mark Cuban was probably the easiest I've ever done. I'm not going to lie and say like it was very difficult because I did a lot of work beforehand interviewing well-known names. Like Chris Saka, for example, who's like, a legendary venture investor in, mm -hmm. in the Bay Area in San Francisco, you know, early investor in Twitter and Uber and like pretty much every hot startup. Uh, Chris took a while to chase down to actually like get him to do an interview. But Mark and Chris are actually really good friends. And so, you know, I think that the validation aspect was very, you know, I think played to my advantage, especially when considering the fact that, you know, Mark Cuban probably gets a ton of interview requests every day but does he get some from 17 year olds probably a little less and then does he get some from kids who are uh like who have interviewed some of his friends already and like have this like my show is not huge by the way but it's you know established the guests i have are established enough that it makes it de-risks it a little bit that's all you're trying to do is just de-risk it make sure like make sure mark cuban comes out of that saying that was not a waste of time right that's pretty much the ultimate goal for, for from the guest part and so, you know, the real challenge was getting the first guest when I had zero followers, zero listeners, zero interviews. Like, how do you convince these people? And the truth is, there's not like one secret formula. It was basically just sending cold emails. Like, I would find people's emails online. I put together this huge spreadsheet of like hundreds and hundreds of people that I would want to talk to. And out of, out of those hundreds of hundreds of people that I reached out to, 12 of them said yes. So those are your odds right there. Those are your, that's your percentage, your conversion rate, if you will. And so it took quite a lot of work, but um, we managed to pull it off. Yeah. So you've flown to a bunch of different places to do these interviews, but the one thing that's kind of consistent is the the topic of conversation. It's all business related. Like it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So how do you 
how do you prepare for an interview? Like how much research do you do? How much prep do you do for like camera work and audio and everything? Um, well, I, when I did the one, when I was doing season one, when I was actually traveling, a more prep in regards to camera because I had to go to the office. Um, the big difference between Canada and the U.S. is like many U.S. office buildings, which is where most of these people were, have like tight security. You have to like show your passport to get in. That's not, I, I don't know if that's a 9-11 thing, but that really doesn't happen here. So that threw me off guard. Like there are a bunch of little things like that. Um, you know, setting up, getting, making, making sure that I had enough prep time to like make sure the mics were recording. There was an instance where I didn't record the mics until halfway through the conversation, which was terrible. And so I had to like figure out a way to patch it up. Uh, luckily it ended up working out fine. It's actually one of our more listened to episodes, but um, that was definitely a little exhilarating. Um, so there were like a bunch of things, you know, uh, the actual prep for the interview takes probably the most time. Like do, I, I try not to have like a list of questions, although I tend to have a list of questions, but I try not to like, I, I the emergency situation is if I'm going to like read off the list and on almost non-emergency situation. I worded that wrong. I have a, I know some smart people will say like, you shouldn't have a list of questions. And I agree, but you know, sometimes it, having at least bullet points where you want to hit, like for you, it's like, okay, from what I've seen so far, it's like, I want to talk about how do you start off with the podcast? How do you reach out to people? These are all things you're, I'm guessing you're interested in, or you probably wouldn't be asking them. And in my situation, I had the same, same thing. I just basically had bullet points that I wanted to hit on. And obviously if the conversation drifted another way, as long as it wasn't a hundred percent derailed, then like, I would say that's a success. And so all the people I interviewed were people I knew. I, I wasn't just like Googling who is an entrepreneur I could interview. Like everyone I interviewed, every single person I knew who they were before I even thought of this podcast and I really looked up to. And so it made coming up with questions and like points I wanted to hit so easy because um, I was just genuinely curious and I had all these questions that have just been building up throughout the past you know, five years prior to in my entrepreneurial journey. I really started getting interested in entrepreneurship when I was probably around 10, like watching Shark Tank and Dragons and here in Canada and just like, you know, what, whatever it was. And so as a result, uh, I think the prep is probably the most important part other than actually doing the interview. Um, and as a result, uh, yeah, I took my prep pretty seriously. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you've talked about in your introduction video, it's on your YouTube channel. It's kind of uh, an intro. Oh yeah, that's, that was a while ago, yeah. It's like how you set stuff up. You talked about, um, you talked about the number of people, and you mentioned it on today's episode, the number of people that you've reached out to, and out of that, only 12 have... For know, season one, yeah. Yeah, for season one. So that, that leaves like 88 rejections. And when it comes to sponsorships, you said you had... You had a well, it was, it was not like 100, it was like hundreds. Yeah. I think, I think in an interview, I've said thousands and that's probably an, an exaggeration, but it was definitely hundreds of people, like hundreds, like 500, something around there. I don't know. I didn't count, but you know, every day, Monday, my favorite day of the week during that time was Monday because that's when people would check their email and Saturday and Sunday just felt like such a slow down because I, I would already commit to interviews and like, I'd say, okay, I'm going to be in New York on August 22nd. And I'm going to, and I'm going to be, I have one interview scheduled. How many interviews can I schedule on August 22nd? Be so I can make the most of my money while I'm there. And so I'd book one, but that doesn't, I going for to uh, taking a whole trip for just one interview is like not super economical. So I'd be like, okay, how many can I get? 
And so I'd be frantically reaching out to basically anyone I really thought that would be of interest that I knew of. And as a result, these like hundred, you know, it just ended up accumulating the amount of emails I sent definitely in the, in the hundreds. And so, um, yeah. And, and so the rejection rate was quite high. Yeah. So you've got a sponsorship at Skillshare at the age of, at the age of 15. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to ask you, how did you do that? How, how do you manage to get out? Everyone, everyone's asked that. Um, it's a good question. Um, I mean, look, to, uh, to give Skillshare's credit, like they took a, a pretty, ri- a pretty decent like risk. Um, I mean, it's not like I got a million dollars from them, but um, I got a decent amount of money for a show that didn't exist pretty mm-hmm. much. It was in an idea at that point. I think I booked like two interviews. And so as a result, I knew going back, I knew when I started the show, I thought I really had to travel and I was probably right for season one. It was really great to like meet kind of my idols in person. Zoom is fine too, but in person is like a different level of connection. Mm-hmm. And as a result, um, I figured, okay, if I need to do this and I don't have all the money um, and, you know, my parents clearly weren't going to pay for like a hundred percent of this, like, how am I going to make this work? And so I just sent a bunch of cold emails to various sponsors that I heard um, on various podcasts and YouTube channels, you know, a bunch of people. There are like 10 main brands that you see all over the internet that just sponsor YouTubers and podcasters and Skillshare is one of them. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and they really liked the vision and they, uh, they uh, decided to back me. And so, um, yeah. And they gave me definitely not a ridiculous amount of money, but enough that I could like, you know, figure out a way to make this podcast work super, super in a lean and scrappy way, very lean and scrappy. So one of the main ways that you've grown certainly recently is your TikTok account, right? Yes, definitely. Masked approximately 60,000 followers. Um, it's got around 2 million total likes and you've got multiple videos that surpass 1 million views. Um, yeah. Because kind of your main platform because the numbers that you're pulling on TikTok, they surpass the, the number of views per episode on podcast. Yeah, um, well, to be fair, um, I the YouTube channel doesn't actually represent my podcast yeah my po- tiktok is definitely bigger than my podcast but the podcast which you subscribe to on apple Podcasts or spotify like it's not terrible but um sorry, it's, it's, it's not like it's not terrible and it's definitely not tiktok size but um it's it's much bigger than my my youtube channel for sure my youtube is like my least my most neglected platform which is probably really bad but oh well yeah speaking of platforms tiktok is like your main platform kind of because Although yeah, I, I, to be I, although I would say like my main platform in terms of numbers, yes, but in terms of like growth and opportunity and like networking and you know, I my goal is that my podcast is my name, main platform and I started I don't want to be a TikToker. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not my goal. I started my podcast or started the TikTok page or later on really to promote my podcast and I think I've done a decent job at that podcast has grown because of TikTok. So it's my most followed platform. Yes. So going back to that why do you why do you think tiktok is is the best platform for growing a brand because you've done it so quickly well quickly but kind of not quick it feels maybe it feels quickly Mm -hmm. quicker than it would have taken on youtube for sure but i unlike those stories where people just post a video and then it goes viral 
or like they get 200,000 followers overnight. Like that just never happened for me. It really just never happened. I was always kind of, um, you know, it, it, I got a couple videos over a million views, but that doesn't really do that much to be honest. Like, I don't know, I think I got like 5,000 followers from that. And I'm not even that big on TikTok, so I have a hard time giving advice, but I can just say that TikTok is one of the only platforms where you can post a video and it might get a million views there's more luck than people would like to admit in regards to that. Um, but it is true that if you post a video, it's shot well, it's whatever it accomplishes its goal and it's at the right time at the right, right place. Yes. It is a platform where you can grow um, quickly. I've been, I started TikTok in September of 2019 though. Um, and so as a result, like, you know, I think, um, I posted my first video September of 2019. I really didn't post daily until like February. Um, and then I just tried to, trying to kind of hone my style and all the while tried to figure out like, okay, I'm making these videos. Could I essentially build an audience that not only would follow me on TikTok, but also follow me on other platforms? Um, and not necessarily Instagram, mainly the one I'm thinking of is podcasting. Because to be fair, like I said this on other interviews in the past and I'm, I'm not a huge social media fan. Like I, I go on Instagram, I, you know, I have my TikTok addiction like everyone else does. But if I, if my job really wasn't involving social media and I was just like a banker or something, I don't know, or some, some like job that didn't involve social media, I'd happily delete TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and hopefully I can get to a place where I can have someone else take care of that for me and I really don't have to uh, go go on any platforms and I could just like listen to podcasts and chill out but in the during the time being TikTok the opportunity whether it disappears in September based off of um, how Trump decides to handle this um, is is you know to be determined but uh, yeah I think I think the growth opportunity is immense and uh, I guess I'm an example of that if you work hard of course if you if you po if you like go go really hard for a week or a month from my experience, I didn't really see any crazy growth in a month. So, when you're when you're reaching out to these to these big names, obviously, you said Mark Cuban was was kind of easy to get because of Chris Saka, but when yeah, very much. These other people that they really won't know who you are beforehand. A lot of the ones at season one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they didn't know who I was. Yeah, yeah. for sure. The show hadn't the show hadn't aired yet. There's nothing for them to. Yep, nothing. There's literally nothing. Yeah, it was an idea. So, do you find that sometimes when you're talking to these kind of big name people, that um, they don't take you seriously when you mention your age? Um, maybe via email, and I guess the ones that wouldn't take didn't take me seriously, um, didn't said no or just never replied. All the interviews I've ever done, I've never felt like you know, I was being judged for my age or, oh, Campbell, that's so cute. This is such a nice little podcast, you know, not, not, not. I, I felt like I was being taken completely seriously. And I'm glad because I'm actually, you know, I work full time actually at a startup right now. I'm, I, I do all this TikTok and podcast stuff, like, I guess, theoretically part time, um, though it seems like it's basically two full time jobs at this point. But um I, uh, I, I, I really hate being like, I, I don't want to be good for a 17 year old. I don't want to be like a good podcaster for my age. I want to be like a good podcaster, period. And so I felt um, it's an interesting question. And I guess I was a little worried that people wouldn't take 
me seriously, but I guess the people that didn't just didn't meet with me in general. And so that kind of solves its own problem. Mm -hmm. So you said that you want to, you want to thrive, not as a, you don't want to be the best 17 year old podcaster. You want to just be a great podcaster. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm not going to be the best podcaster in the world and I don't really aim to be, I just aim to, you know, have really conversations that really interest me. And if I do that well, and, but conversations that are good, not just for a 17 year old, but that are really interesting for, you know, anyone interested in entrepreneurship to listen to. And if I do that job well, then I'll build a, a larger audience. Yeah. So let's, let's talk 12 months time, right? Where do you see the podcast going in the next 12 months? Well, I'll still be at it. And uh, 12 months, I, I, someone told me, uh, who was this? I forgot. This could have been an interview. I've, I've done like three or three podcast interviews in the last day or two days. So, um, and then I also did another one on my show. So to be honest, it's all kind of blowing together, but someone in one of these interviews told me um, or said that we like tend to overestimate how much we can accomplish in a year and underestimate how much we can accomplish in a decade. And so I don't want to like set all these hard goals publicly and then either fall short of them or just burn myself out while trying to achieve them. Yeah. So I think the goal with the podcast is just to keep it going. I really think in five years, it's a different game. Like I'll be more, maybe I'll probably be more, more well known and the podcast will be a bigger thing. But up until then, I'm just going to keep really working hard keep my head down um just you know stay fit stay healthy um just keep keep working at it um and you know whether tiktok's gonna be gone by then who knows that's not really i don't really care to be honest um it's not i'm not doing this to be a tiktoker um and my heart is definitely an audio um but at this time i feel like um if i if i just work hard enough and kind of keep going have grit and kind of be persistent throughout next year and the year after i'll have a much bigger show so how many listeners will i have in a, in a year i don't know like who knows but at this point um yeah at this at this point the uh i really plan on just keeping the podcast up and running because if anything it's a wonderful networking opportunity mm -hmm. so i wanted to switch gears a little bit and uh, i've got sure. yeah that you um well you, you've made a documentary yeah, um, that's yeah. I haven't been asked this that often. Yeah. So the documentary, um, I'm correct in saying it's on the education system. So it's not done. Okay. So this is this is you're the only one to ask me. So, um, yeah. So in September, like in between, when I was like figuring out what to do with the podcast, I really thought that there'd be an interesting opportunity to do a documentary on education. And so one of the people who followed the podcast, this uh, investor in New York decided to fund it a little bit um, and you know I traveled around and we, we shot this really interesting kind of pilot documentary it was definitely not ready to be released and we were actually in the process of pitching it and then COVID happened so unlike all my other answers where I can say like and this is how that went I don't know how this goes I don't know if it's going to be on Netflix or if it's completely going to die um, it's kind of out of my control at this point so we're kind of just waiting to to see what happens yeah but you know, you're still relatively young and you, you are shooting a documentary. How, what's that like in terms of, is it, is it kind of overwhelming? Not at all. Um, I, I mean, so maybe not, not at all. It was a lot of work, mm -hmm. but work's not something that like scares me. It's, I will say the podcast was probably harder because unlike the documentary where it's like, okay, 
I shot this pilot. Let's see if it works. Um, and let's see if studios like it. The podcast is like, it's not studios that I'm trying to impress. It's the market. And so it was, you know, it's a lot harder, I think, or maybe not, definitely not a lot harder. Like I, when I say documentary, like it was like a pilot documentary series. So like little episodes, trailer, basically just like the beta version of what could be a documentary on education. It was not, uh, not no, no Oscar worthy production. And so um, I think I would click, if you compare it to the podcast experience, I would say the podcast experience is probably harder and more overwhelming. Um, the documentary, I really like worked on it a lot from mainly like November to January. So it was a shorter period of time. Um, and, and yeah, and so, and we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, it's kind of out of my hands at this point. Yeah, well, I wish you the best of luck with the- uh, Thank you. And the documentary and the TikTok and whatever else you have going on, because it seems like you have a lot on your plate in terms of projects and platforms you have to manage. I have a hard time saying no, it's actually it's a problem, but yeah. we'll work on that. Yeah, but um, that just about does it for time on today's episode. So I want to thank Wonderful. you very much for coming on the show. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. You ask great questions. Thank you. For those of you watching on Spotify, if you go over to the YouTube video right now, you will find in the description links to Campbell's podcast and his YouTube channel, which I highly encourage you to check out. And thank you very much. That is all for today's episode. Thank you.